Well, it is my privilege to be here. Um, I knew that we were going to be doing some special things today with the commissioning and stuff, um, but I didn't actually know we were going to be talking about the commissioning of Kyle and his family this morning. But I did know that this was the morning that we were celebrating the commissioning of Pastor Stacy, and now Kyle and his family. And this, and, and something that was said during Kyle's commissioning was that um, you are his family, and you are the ones who will support and partner and go with them and encourage and bless that. And this is a privilege for me because my family has been on the receiving end of your support for many years. And uh, as today, this is just a small opportunity for me to give back and to be part of what you have been doing for our family for years, and I'm excited about that. Um, now, for some of you who do not know me and my family, um, Lisa and I and our three daughters, we have been working for the past 17 years in the Middle East. We've been working with the Arab Sunni, the Arab Sunni Muslims for the whole purpose of sharing the gospel, finding those who the Lord is engaged with now, giving them the full story of who Christ is, seeing belief gather into groups and home churches, discipling and then seeing them move forward with the gospel in their unique context with their people in Arabic and this. This is kind of what we've been doing. But today, I was actually a little, I was, I'm a little nervous about that introduction that, uh, that was given to me because when we're talking about beyond and you're, you're, you're hearing from somebody who is supposedly a professional one who does this for their life, okay? That's a little kind of offsetting in one regards because today I'm actually not gonna kind of expand on what's happening in the Middle East or how that looks, but actually we wanna continue with this. We're gonna take a little diversion from Acts, what Pastor Stacy has been doing, but we're gonna continue on the same thread of looking beyond, but not beyond overseas, not beyond with Muslims, if you want to know more about that, I can give you those details. You can find us afterwards. We can tell you all what the Lord's doing there. But we want to look at, and if you know uh, me, and some of you guys do, some of you don't, you would know that I'm a person who likes to boil things down to small, manageable pieces so that practical change and action can actually start and begin and continue. So our so today we're going to be kind of looking and keeping along the same idea of beyond Sunday, beyond the walls, beyond borders, but we want to look at what are some essentials of looking beyond, and that has nothing to do with geography. It has nothing to do with language. It has nothing to do with culture. It has everything to do with our Lord and his work. Now, I will do this. So, so we want to put, we want to try to put our finger on some real practicals of everyday life that every one of us, no matter where we're from, what part of Wilmington we're living at, no matter what age we are in, some practicals of how we could start a routine of looking beyond. That's kind of the, uh, the hope of this. Now, I will give a disclaimer of this. There's an assumption here that everything that we're going to engage and talk about today, and that these happen, these, this assumption is that you, as, who is a listen, as a listener, um, you are a follower and somebody who is walking with Christ. 
You have had practical experience with his grace in your life, in your family, with others. You have seen this new life because of his resurrection and a growing real relationship with the Lord. That's an assumption, but I say that because I know that's not the case maybe of everybody here, and that's okay. Maybe you haven't, you haven't yet come to know him or walk and know that intimacy, but that's okay. But I do just want to put this before. That's my assumption at this talk. And it, what we talk about, if you're in that context and place where you don't know the Lord or aren't walking with him like that, it might be a little, you might say, man, my life doesn't reflect that. That's not my experience. And if that's, the, if that's the case, then I would say, come to Pastor Stacy, the person you came with, the person next to you, and engage about that. Talk about that. Okay? That's open. We are a people who want to talk about that. So, we are going to start today, and we're going to look through our, at the scriptures of 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. So, if you have a Bible, please open to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. If you don't, there are the Pew Bibles in front of you, and that's on page 811. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. And as is our practice, would you guys please stand with me? We would read the word of the Lord together. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win as many as those are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, through Paul, you teach us that for those whom you foreknew, you predestined to be conformed into the likeness of your son, so that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And today we come before you and we ask, Lord, conform us. Lord, lead us. Lord, give us one more aspect of what it is to walk with the Lord Jesus and become more like him in everyday practical ways in Wilmington or any place you take us. Lord, that can only happen by way of your leading, by the way of the Holy Spirit's working and God in our life, and we ask that today you would enable all of that um, through our little time together. In the name of Christ we ask, amen. You may be seated. So these are Paul's words. These are actually very famous missionary words. You probably heard this probably in the context of a missions kind of discussion about going to the world and, and going after the world. Yeah, it's actually in the middle of Corinthians. It's in the middle of a letter that starts about the power of the resurrection and the gospel and having that as first in all discussions, but then leads into multiple chapters of how does the gospel influence practical life? How does the power of Christ's resurrection impact us. It talks about disputes. 
talks about lawsuits, talks about marriage, talks about church order. How is the power of Christ affected in a very practical way? It is kind of an insert into Corinthians of Paul's philosophy. And particularly in in chapter 9, it is Paul talking about he has certain rights as an apostle, as a leader, but he chooses to lay those down because of the gospel and not to take those up. It is his, it's, it's a philosophy, a practical life of, and of what will be seen. And actually, how he practically does this will be seen as Pastor Stacy continues through Acts and to see how that actually plays out in his practical life in those days. Yet, I want to look, we're not going to go through an expository study of this passage, but I want to look at this passage in regards of an example that I had back in the 90s. And that was back in the 90s, I was a pretty athletic, agile guy. But I was at a place one day, and there were, and it was a house, and there were a lot of people there, and there were some, particularly some girls that were there that were kind of showing off their tumbling routines and skills. So as confident as I was back then, I said, hey, I particularly like that back handspring motion. I think I can do that. And one of the girls came up to me and said, hey, can I, can I spot you? Can I help you? I said, no, no, I got this. <laughs> and so I launched into that back handspring, and all I remember is waking up to about four or five faces looking down at me, saying, are you okay? And I realized I had blacked out. And the reason I blacked out was because I completely missed my hands. I landed on the back of my back and back of my neck and knocked myself out. And I learned something really important. There are some things that I could do, but I probably need to build up to that in life before I just try to go into it. And that's how I want to look at, I want us to look at this passage at this, all right, in 1 Corinthians 9 here. Because really, this is not the starting point that Paul just initiated into the day after his Damascus experience and knowing who the Lord is and coming to faith. This was not him. This actually was written after many years he had been in the Arabia, had been learning. He had already completed his first and second missionary journeys. He was probably on his third. He's probably in Ephesus right in this, his main training location. These were the words to believers from an experienced leader that was born out of life experience and walking with the Lord and how that had impacted his life. But there is something really important for all of us, no matter where we are within this passage of 1 uh, Corinthians, and that is there's a drumbeat. There's kind of a cadence that you kind of read through 19 through 23. It goes like verse 19, so I can win more. 20, that I might win those who are under the law. 21, that I might win those who are without the law. 22, so that by I may by all means save some. There's a reoccurring cadence here of a heart that is ever looking beyond to what yet is not. There's that beat and that heart. So my hope is today I can give you some practicals of saying, what are essentials of that heart? What are practical essentials that can help us start to move with Paul towards a lifestyle that would say, whatever is mine that I have and I have a right to, I will, given the scenario and situation, I will choose to lay down 
because I'm looking beyond. So what is that? What are some of these practicals? Okay, the practicals will be two, two parts. One, it starts with our mindset, and it then goes to how we practically interact. The mindset would start by saying this. It starts with a mindset that is confident and full of conviction about the character of the living God in which we know that we have seen in Christ Jesus a conviction and a confidence of the character of the living God. Now, there's a lot to be said about the character of God, but it is an aligned thinking and understanding that agrees with the Bible in regards of who the living God is on a daily, practical basis. Through the depths of just thinking about and being convicted or convinced about his character, there is empowering that starts to build within us for looking beyond. The, the first point of this is a very high-level, important aspect, and that is the living God, Christ Jesus, is actively, key word here, actively involved in every person's life circumstances. Everybody's, everybody I know, everybody I meet, everybody I bump into, the living God is actively involved in there. He is not the creator who created and then he left us to our own devices. He's not the creator who is unaware of the difficulties of surviving on this earth and does not give attention. He is not the creator who is unconcerned with the details of life because he's got more important things to do. No, he is not. That's not who he is. He is actively involved. He is. Now, what is he? What aspect of his character? Well, let's go back and think about the story of Moses for the first part. You remember the burning bush experience that Moses had? Right after he is told to take off his shoes because of the ground that he is that he's standing on is holy, God speaks to him and he learns initially two important things that he never knew about the living God until then. First of all, he learns at that moment when he's staring into the burning bush, the voice of God says, I am the God of your father, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he learns who is speaking to him. That's number one. But right after that, the second thing that God tells him is about his nature and character. He says, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry, and I am aware of their sufferings. So what did Moses learn about the character? He is aware of sufferings, he sees them, and now he's speaking to them. So the first part is that the living God not only is actively involved, but two, he knows all sufferings and pain of everybody in this world, and he's actively engaged with it. That, that is an essential component of our faith and walk with the Lord. You've experienced his attentive, active engagement in your life, in your sufferings. We could probably go through testimonies of this. He sees the obvious. Everything we see, he sees. This is simple, guys, but it's very important. What we see, he sees. So he sees here in the high schools. He sees every girl and boy 
who cannot escape humiliation every day because of the perverse and evil use of social media and the weight that is on him or her. He sees it, and he knows it. He knows the 70-year-old grandmother that's here in this city who is taking care of multiple grandchildren because of one or more of her, of her sons or daughters are a victim of the opioid crisis. In my world, overseas, he sees, every, he sees the ethnic cleansing that's happening with the Muslim Rihangi people by the Buddhist extreme people. He sees that targeting. He also sees Syrian refugees and all of the situations that have happened there that causes them to sell their children, to be exploited. And he sees all of that. I have to know that the character of my God sees those things which I see as I'm looking. That means that there is zero apathy within Christ Jesus and the living God. He is sympathetic. He's actively concerned. He is sensitive to every plight. So whatever I see, he sees. This is what, a, this, is a, this is a basic component of looking beyond, is daily saying, whatever I come across, Jesus sees what I see. This, this, takes in, this, this, this happened to a missionary woman who was down in the Gulf with an Arab woman. She discovered this. She would say mentally she knew this, but she hadn't really kind of really thought about this. Let me read a, let me read a, a, uh, a letter that she penned. She said, I didn't understand how hard it would be for my friends, Arab Muslims, to understand a God who sees them. Then I sat with a friend, a woman in the hospital. She was pregnant with her eighth child. She shoved a stack of medical history into my hands, and she asked me to explain it to her. I read over 10 years of history, noting STIs contracted from her husband, doctors just giving her birth control without explanation, diagnoses of dangerous conditions that have led to miscarriage and serious complications. I sat in silence of this situation. No doctor had ever told her what was happening to her. No one had ever tried to explain it in Arabic. They just gave her some antibiotics and meds, birth control, and sent her on her way. And here I was, somebody one year into this country, and I was not prepared to engage this. But I drew out a little picture of the reproductive anatomy, and I slowly explained parts that she could understand. Not explaining everything, but so that she could know how to make decisions. I talked to nurses and doctors, and I was a very pushy American in this situation. She cried, she hugged me, and that day things changed for our relationship. She had never had someone to care about what happens to her or stand up for her. She had never had an advocate. That young missionary is saying, Jesus, you see the pain of this woman that I see right now. But you know what? He doesn't just see what we see. His sight is even greater. Important point for looking beyond. He does see what we see, but his sight is greater so that he sees the unknown. And not only that, he sees what the person or groups that we are in front, that we are with, that they can't even see themselves. Even if it was explained, he still sees the, un the unknown need. Remember the interaction of him and John. Remember, you know these words. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, do you remember exactly what was said right after that? The leaders look at him and say, what are you talking about? We have never been the slaves. How can we be set free? And Jesus, seeing what they could not see within themselves, he said, 
I'm going to paraphrase this. Um, let me tell you the truth. Anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The real situation was God, was Jesus saw their uncontrolled allegiance to whatever their passion, whatever their sin, whatever that meant for individuals, he saw it and he knew they couldn't escape it. And they were slaves, bound by it. They were oblivious to what he was seeing. There's another story from the Middle East that kind of explains this, but this is from the Muslim context. Um, sorry if some of you guys have heard this. Uh, we've told this before. Lisa came in, came in contact with a woman, fully covered lady, only see her eyes. And when she met Miriam, Miriam's, Miriam said to Lisa, are you a believer in Jesus? And Lisa said, yes, I am. And Miriam said, well, I am too. <laughs> now, Lisa was kind of like, what do you mean? And she unfolded this story, and the story was of her father-in-law, who in, between 2004 to 2006, after the Iraq war, he worked in construction. He went to Iraq from the country that we, that we serve in, and he was working there. Normal job, making some extra money for his home and his house. Um, and at nights, he would come home, they would watch satellite TV. They happened upon a satellite program that talked about Jesus, did a comparison of being Christ and Islam, and promoted in Arabic who Christ is and the weaknesses of Islam. And over time, her father-in-law came to believe in Christ. And he didn't just become a believer in Christ secretly. He went so far as he tattooed a cross on his, on his wrist, which is not so uncommon for some believers in the Middle East to do. So he goes back after he gets done after a number of years, and he goes back to three sons. She's married to one of them, Miriam. And they're in their 30s. They're men, and they are conservative Muslims. So they have some pretty awesome beards too, kind of thing. <laughs> All right, And so uh, bearded guys, so he comes back in, and he starts telling his sons about his change of allegiance, and they are appalled. They are shocked, they are ashamed, and they bloody their father and kick him out. And this happens a number of times. But he was persevering and coming back. But after a while, they started feeling quite ashamed for just how they were treating their father. And they said, listen, you can come back into the family home, but do not speak to us anymore about this Jesus and your allegiance to him. You have shamed our whole family in this. But what he would do is he would come as a good Muslim man usually does. He would come to the home, and he would have, usually Muslim men will have the Quran, but he had, has the Bible now. And he would come and sit in the corner, and he would just kind of read under his breath scriptures out loud. Not obnoxiously, but just kind of read. But what he didn't know was Miriam, his daughter-in-law, for a few months had had a reoccurring a dream. And the reoccurring dream was a man in white coming to her saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one knows no one come to the Father but through me. And, he, what is, and what does he do? He gets to John 14, 6, and he reads it out loud. She's kind of preparing over here some food, and she hears the words. And she stops him, and she says, what is that? And she unfolds the dream to him. And he says, Miriam, these are some of the last words of Jesus in preparation going to the cross. And he's calling and telling who he is. And Miriam, he's calling you. And so goes the story of Miriam coming to know the Lord. 
But not only that, each son has a story of his own where they came to know the Lord and their wives. And so when Lisa met her and we got to know them, they were like, oh, we're unique people. We follow Jesus. And we were like, oh, no, no, you're not. Let us invite you in to kind of meet some others kind of thing. But I say that, why? Because at that moment, they didn't know they were incorrect. They were natural, normal Muslims who only knew Islam, who were walking. They knew that they, they didn't know they were separated from God. They thought that they were walking according to what the right way was. They did know that they had sins, but they thought, they didn't know they weren't forgiven because of the sacrifices they were doing each year. They, they thought that they were walking in what they should be doing. They were oblivious. But the Lord Jesus Christ knew that it was not right. And he saw Miriam and her father-in-law and her husband and all of her brother-in-laws needed redemption, and he intervened. So looking beyond starts with every interaction and person that we engage with, that he sees what we see, and he sees beyond that. It is a mental state. But the second part of his character that is very important in this is not only does he see it, but he is faithful to act. He is faithful to act. With the Hebrews, in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses, the third thing he says to Moses, he says his name, he tells him his character, and then he says, and I'm sending you, and you will lead my people out of Egypt. I've come to commission you for a task because I'm going to act. He acted with the Arab woman that I told you the story by sending a first-year woman who had very little experience, could hardly speak Arabic, to this woman to say, I know your pain, and I'm going to advocate for you through her. He did, it through, he did it to Miriam and her family by a satellite program, by getting a Bible into his hands, by orchestrating a dream to a coordinated dinner appointment where he happened to have the Bible, and he's reading John 14, 6, and she hears. He was faithful to act. This is the gospel, right? The faithfulness of him to act. The scripture is such as, but when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son. What the law could not do, God did, sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, and the word became flesh. He sees what we see, he sees what we cannot see, and he is faithful to act. That perspective gives us a starting point if we want to be people who look beyond. Because what that does is it sets us up for any interaction, planned or unplanned in life, in the streets, in the stores in Wilmington, that says, it doesn't really matter what I know about the situation or purpose or person or group that I'm with right now. Here's what I do know. He knows their pain he sees what I don't see, and he's acting now. That is, a, that is a first stepping stone of looking beyond. And here's the thing. We don't just think that way. It takes intentional effort daily as we go into life, because there's so many things that want to push that away and give priority. What's my plan for this interaction? What's my agenda? What do I know? What I don't know? But the thought of saying, the living God knows. He knows beyond what I know. 
and he's acting. Now, that's the mindset. That's the mindset that we actually have to choose to take up if we're going to be people who look beyond. The second are just some practicals, and that is a mindset that is focused on the character of God, but then looking beyond undertakes intentional action. Just like God acts, we have to be willing to take intentional action. Now, how does this happen? First of all, it comes as our minds are thinking about the character of God and the reality of that, we start to be oriented to the thought that comes to grip that we are his tools. No matter where we are, we are his tools. Moses learned that. Paul learned that. So how do we prepare ourselves to kind of walk in that? Well, again, in the 90s, I was a baseball player. And we had, one, we had one principle that was always drilled into us, and that was heads up and on your toes. Looking at the pitcher, looking at the batter, for when the crack of the bat happened, we were not on our heels, but we were on our toes ready to respond. So the first practical about this, about looking beyond, is this. Heads up. Are our heads up as believers in Christ? And literally, this means, are we, are we looking to our interactions? Are we situationally aware of what's around us? Have you ever, have you ever just taken like five minutes when you're in any kind of store, any kind of line, and just purposely just scan the room, just to kind of observe what the status of the people are around you? What do you usually see? I'll tell you what I usually see when I come back to the States. I usually see this. I see a sea of heads down at something else. And sometimes there's some good reason, you know, whatever. People are kind of answering important things or looking at important things. Um, sometimes I think actually the heads are down just so that nobody else sees them. It's kind of like I want to be anonymous, okay? A sea of heads down. So here's my challenge at this first part. As people who want to be looking beyond, we, we need to be aware. Practically, practically, that means is when we're out and about, is scanning the rooms. It is, what does the life situation look? What do we learn from nonverbals? Um, is there an argument between a couple happening here? Is this person really look sick, maybe? Or is this, or this person... that? Something's, they're not happy about something for some reason, okay? It's scanning and being situationally aware. This is important. This is what we do overseas all the time. Everything I'm telling you this is what we do as professional overseas workers for the gospel. We're looking, we're scanning the crowd, but we're scanning the crowd, why? Because we believe God is acting now in somebody around us. He knows what I see and he knows beyond what I see, okay? And that that engages me with the possibility of not just situational awareness, but linking me with my spiritual awareness. I acknowledge he knows them. I accept that he has put me now in this place for a reason. It's beyond happenstance. I'm here for a person. And I expect, whether this is a planned time or an unplanned time, that God is arranging things for me to be his tool. Heads up. And learning what? The other thing about this does, is, the second part of this is, 
not just with our heads up, but when the time comes to interact. There's a principle we use overseas, and that is to be curious and not cautious. Is our heads are up, we see an opportunity, or something comes to us, and it is now we want to be curious. Why do we want to be curious? And how do we become curious? We want to be curious because if I have a, if I have a perspective that looks beyond, that believes the Lord is working and knows, then what I want to know is how and where in this life is he actually working? So I want to discover where that is. Discovery requires genuine curiosity. And how, 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 do you, how do you engage curiosity? You do it by asking good questions. Are we people who ask good questions? Harvard Business Journal is a great, a great journal. And what they say about leadership, they say about this in regards of asking questions. They say, people who excel in asking questions have honed the ability to cut to the heart of a matter in a way that disarms people being interviewed and opens the door for genuine conversation. They are other-focused. They are getting to a real discussion. They are curious people that hone good questions. You want to look beyond? You want to go beyond Sunday, the walls and borders? We have to be people who are willing to ask good questions to people we know, to people we don't know. Now, some of this is natural for us, and, and some of it is just for a skill for us, so for some of us. I am an introvert by nature, but I'm an extrovert by profession. I've learned over many years. When I went to the Middle East at the very beginning, I thought we would spend time normally like we do with men here. And I got there, and I found out that I was visiting with men, but the definition of a visit there was a three- to four-hour sit-down of talking. Well, after about 20 minutes, I was done. <laughs> and I had no more questions to ask. And I was like, oh, Lord. Uh, and I had to build a skill. And the Lord was gracious to help me. A skill not just of asking questions, but a skill who actually loved asking questions. Because of that discovery process to find where the Lord was working in his or her life. And then to be part of that. Asking good questions. The third aspect, and this is the last one, of practically going beyond. We said, heads up, being ready. Two, whether it comes to us or whether we initiate, asking good questions. The third is we have to vocalize our faith. We have to speak of our faith. And in specific terms. You know, we have learned that um, looking beyond, somebody who looks beyond vocalizes what is great, of greatest importance to them. And in this context, it would be Christ Jesus. That is our greatest value. We have found overseas, this may not be applicable here, but we have found that the longer we wait to speak of our faith in an old or new relationship, the harder it gets. Because there's some sort of contrived idea that I've got so much investment in this relationship, now if I say something about my faith and it becomes uncomfortable, I will lose what I've invested in. So what we have done in our practice, we've said within three interactions, we will speak of the Lord Jesus in order to start our relationship 
based on that they know Christ Jesus is of highest value in our life. Again, that's not natural to me. That has been a skill that has been developed. But there is great need that we have to speak of our faith. And I know that this goes beyond our Southern culture. I know it. I'm from the South. I'm from here in North Carolina as well. But I'm not speaking of preaching or kind of manipulative talk or talking down. I'm talking about, you know, normal speech of who I am and what I love, and I'm excited about it, and I would love to invite you to engage with me about this. And if you don't, not a problem, but this is who I am. Because when you speak and vocalize of your faith in any appropriate way for your context or for your uh, relationship, you will become two things. You will become a resource. For whether or not that person wants to discuss at that moment, at some point in time, you will be a resource that they know who speaks of the Lord and of spiritual and of faith. And there's something about you that they at some point will come back to. The other thing, though, is realize this is that you will also become a target of criticism. Acknowledge this and know this. But you know what? Even if that happens, and this happens all the time, we, we are the minority in an Islamic country where we live. We get a lot of criticism for our faith. We're told a lot of times that we're wrong and we're possessed and so many things, okay? All right, but here's the thing. Even in those moments, if that comes, you then have an opportunity to engage and to display the fruits of the Holy Spirit in kindness, in generosity, and to let them, en- and let them engage Christ in the way that you take criticism, that is powerful. We have to speak of our faith. We have to speak of our faith. Now, we're going to bring this to a conclusion here. The heart of Paul in this 1 Corinthians 9 is looking beyond Intentionally reminding ourselves that Jesus knows all the pain and suffering of persons in front of me and will act. It's a one-second thought that says, all right, right now Jesus knows everything about this person and what he's experienced all day. That's a millisecond thought. Before we say something, before we engage, he knows everything that's already happened. Millisecond thought. And then it is intentionally interacting as tools of Christ. Being ready, being curious, and then vocalizing our faith. And this is not limited to new relationships, guys. I know this might kind of be how it's sounding, but even with your old relationships, um, knowing that he, all these components apply to that as well. So here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with a challenge this week, some things to consider doing. First of all, I'd like to say, why don't you pick somebody, maybe in your family, maybe your spouse, maybe somebody uh, who's a friend, and why don't you evaluate last week? Evaluate one or two relationships or like interactions you had last week. What were your first thoughts before you started that conversation? Was it of just that person or was it of who the Lord is and what he knew and what he going to do there? And if you come to the point where you're like, ah, I didn't really think about, that's not a problem. It's just set the point of what's my pattern is my mindset on this or not as I go into interactions? That gives us a place to start from. Okay, the second thing I would say, pick one day this week, just one day, one day this coming week, and develop a mental sentence. Something like, okay, Jesus is aware of everything in his life. Just create a mental sentence that agrees with the character who the living God is 
according to the Bible. And before you say anything with an interaction that day, millisecond, think of that. And then at the end of the day, review your mindset, your mindset, the topics you speak, and maybe what transpired. Okay? So that's, that's number two. Three, try being curious about someone you really um, don't know about. Try asking two questions, just two, to somebody that would, beyond, that would be beyond the normal small talk. Can't be about weather. Can't be about health. Okay? But something that is probing about him or her purposely. Okay? It doesn't have to be, you know, invasive. But something where you're going to learn something new about him or her purposefully. Why? Because you believe the Lord is working in his or her life and you're trying to discover it. Okay? And then, if you take any one of those three and do it, and here's what I'd also say. Connect with somebody who is a part of Myrtle Grove. Maybe at the end of the week. And tell them how it went. Ask them how it went for them. So in the youth group, maybe youth group can talk about this. Maybe in a Sunday school class. Maybe in a small group. Maybe in your family. But at the end of the week, come back and say, man, I tried to be curious and this is what happened. I tried to think about, I had this little phrase in mind before every interaction. And talk about it. And that will give you a great opportunity to see both how that aligned you, but then also maybe it opened opportunities that the Lord gave you to be people who are looking beyond wherever you are this week. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to go before us. Lord, we have walked with you. We know your grace we know your presence. We know your healing and restoration in our lives. We have testimony that says that you were thinking, you revealed things that we could not see. You acted faithfully in our lives. And now you have given us the role to be your instruments in the circles of which we run today and this week. Would you help us to have our heads up and to be aware and to consider to take initiative that is curious about the people in front of us in order to discover what you are doing, and then in the midst of that, to speak of our faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, as in Acts, your Holy Spirit brings parties into interaction with parties in order to bring a message of who Christ is. Would you do that for us and enable us in that and help us to build the practical components that will make this become a habit and a lifestyle in which becomes second nature, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen.